On a scale of one to ten, how would you evaluate your level of contentment? Your response may vary from day to day, depending on your circumstances and what's happening in your life. But when we're honest, I wonder if more of us would find ourselves closer to number one, deeply restless, than to number ten, utterly content. Because at one time or another, all of us are looking for something. We sense that life isn't all that we want it to be, that something is missing, that there has to be more to life than this. We need something that is beyond ourselves, something that brings deeper meaning, more significance, something that will enable us to live fuller and deeper lives. There's something about this search, this restlessness, that we find in the story that we just read in the Gospel of John. John the Baptist is out around the Jordan River preaching repentance and baptizing those who truly repent. He's gathering a lot of attention, not only from those coming to hear him preach and be baptized, but also from the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. While the religious leaders ask their theological questions, people keep coming to be baptized. At the height of John's popularity, Jesus comes asking to be baptized. John's hesitant because he seems to know who Jesus is. But at Jesus' insistence, John baptizes him. A few days later, a couple of John's disciples, Andrew, and probably John, the author of the gospel, are with John the Baptist as Jesus walks by. John the Baptist says to the two men, Look, the Lamb of God. They're intrigued and immediately begin following Jesus. Seeing them behind him, Jesus stops and turns to them and asks them a question that at first seems fairly innocuous, but it's actually a question filled with deep meaning and implication. What do you want? What are you looking for? We understand that this question can be answered in a number of ways, depending on who's asking it and what it pertains to. There are times when all of us are looking for something we've lost, like our car keys, a book, our cell phone. If someone finds us searching for the misplaced item and asks us, what are you looking for? Our answer is pretty straightforward and immediate. I can't find my car keys again, or I'm looking for the book I'm reading. But when someone stops us, when we're not in the middle of a search, and asks, what are you looking for? And when that someone is Jesus, then we're dealing with the whole other situation. When we think about Jesus asking us, what are you looking for? We may at first be tempted to answer this question fairly quickly. I'm looking for enough money to be comfortable. I'm looking for success. Or I'm looking to be recognized and appreciated for what I do. But as we take time to think 
and take a deeper look, our answers may include, I'm looking for contentment. I just want this feeling of restlessness to go away. I'm searching for meaning and purpose in my life. I'm looking for peace. I want a peace that not only lets me go to sleep at night, but allows me to sleep through the night. Or maybe our answer is, I don't know. I honestly don't know what I'm looking for. I know something is missing in my life, but I'm not quite sure what it is. Sometimes I think it's one thing, but when I get it, I'm only satisfied for a little bit. Then the satisfaction seems to disappear, and I'm ready to move on to the next thing. It's kind of that feeling that most of us have experienced when we're at home in the evening reading a book or watching a movie and realize that we're hungry, that we're craving something, but we're not quite sure what. So we go to the kitchen and we spend way more time than we should standing in front of an open cupboard or the open refrigerator door trying to decide what sounds good, what we want. So we eat some chips and realize, "Mm, no, that really isn't what I want. So then we try some ice cream, but that isn't quite it either. So even though we're fairly full by the time we're done, we still haven't satisfied that deeper craving. It reminds me of one of Bono's hit songs, I Still Haven't Found what I'm looking for. The lyrics lament that no matter what he does, what experiences he has, he's never satisfied. He describes the spiritual yearning, the need for fulfillment, and the futile search that this present world can't fully satisfy as he returns to the haunting words of the chorus, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. What a tragic way to live our lives, searching, yet never finding. We tend to think that if we just change jobs, change friends, the location of where we live, or if we have more money or a better car or a nicer home, then we'll have what we're looking for. We want to believe that improving or changing our circumstances will satisfy us and bring inner contentment. And sometimes a change in our circumstances is needed. There are times when change is the right thing. God often uses change to open us up to him and as a means to move us forward. But it becomes a problem when we believe that change is what will ultimately satisfy our deepest longings. Some theologians refer to this longing, this yearning within us, as homesickness of the soul. The Greek name for homesickness is nostalgia, which means pain or desire for what is known. It's a yearning and longing for something past. It's a return home. Sometimes this longing is for something we once had, 
while other times it's a longing for something we've never had. The first time I remember becoming clearly aware of my own homesickness of the soul was when I was in high school. It was summer, and I'd been out with some friends that evening, probably scooping the loop. This was a tradition where high school students would pile into a car and then drive down a main street, making a U-turn in an empty parking lot to then go back and do it all over again and again and again. As I think back on it, it was really kind of crazy. But we did it because gas was 50-some cents a gallon, and there really wasn't a lot to do on a Friday night in a small town in Iowa. When I got home that night, everyone else was in bed, so the house was very quiet. I remember going to the refrigerator to get a glass of lemonade when I was struck with this overwhelming sense of homesickness. It was so strange because I was at home. We had lived in the same town for eight or nine years, so it wasn't like we had just moved and I was longing for someplace else. It was such an odd feeling. I was home, and yet I was homesick. Because this feeling wouldn't go away, I began thinking about why it was so overwhelming to me. What was going on? As I was thinking about it, the Holy Spirit convicted me that my relationship was not what it should be with God. In that moment, I realized that I had been putting other things and even people in the place that was meant for only him. It's not that I didn't care about God. I just didn't have the kind of relationship that I was intended to have with him, leaving me with this homesickness of the soul. Because God designed us to have a relationship within him, with him, deep within us is this desire craving, longing for him that can't be filled with anything or anyone else. We see this longing in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and find God? God has placed a profound, persistent, and lasting homing instinct for himself deep within the heart of each one of us. This homesickness of the soul that God has placed within us is intended to lead us to him. Sixth-century theologian and scholar St. Maximus the Confessor wrote, When God created us in his image, He gave us a mind that we may come to know him, a heart to desire him, to long for him, to crave him, and run after him, to be homesick for him. God also gave us a free will so we may freely choose to love him 
and come home to him. This homesickness for God can express itself through loneliness, a discontent with life, burying ourselves in our work, activities, entertainment, relationships, and through all sorts of material possessions. We can try to ignore this homesickness, we can disguise it, we can wrongly label it, but it won't disappear because the meaning and goal of life for each one of us is to respond to this homing instinct within us and allow God to make his home in us. In one way or another, we all want to affirm the words of the psalmist in Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our home throughout all generations. And the words of Jesus in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love, will love them and will come to them and make our home in them. But the burning question is, how do we get where we want to be? How do we come to the place of home that fulfills our deepest longings and desires? How do we find what we're looking for? The same way Andrew and John do, they answer Jesus' question with their own question. Where do you live? Why do they ask Jesus where he lives? Doesn't this seem like an odd response? What are they getting at? And how does this question move them to a closer answer to their longings and desires? Are they looking for an actual address? Do they want to see the kind of neighborhood Jesus lives in? I think it's something else. They've been listening to John the Baptist for quite a while. They've heard him talk about repentance. They've also heard him talk about the one to come, the one whose sandals he's unworthy to untie, the promised one they've been seeking for a long, long time. Then that day, as Jesus walks by, John declares, Behold the Lamb of God. John has deeply influenced these two men, so they have a sense of expectant hope as they follow Jesus. Hope that Jesus is who John says he is, and hope that Jesus can answer the desires and longings within them. Think about those who have influenced your life, pointed you towards Jesus. Who has nurtured you by helping you see Jesus as the hope you're looking for? Who has spurred you on to a deeper walk in faith, to take steps that you probably wouldn't have taken without them? Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a friend, a neighbor, or a parent. We heard this a couple of weeks ago when the graduating college seniors shared their testimonies. So many of them talked about the people who influenced them, who pointed them towards Jesus, who encouraged them to a deeper life of faith in God. But as wonderful as these influences are, eventually 
We have to decide what we want from Jesus. Do we want to walk toward him or away from him? And this is really at the heart of their question about where Jesus lives. It's their way of saying, we want more than just a brief conversation alongside the road. We want a relationship, a relationship that answers our inner longings and searching. We want to spend time with Jesus. There's something about just being with Jesus that has the potential to change us if we're willing. This time alone with him can, is not only restorative for our souls, but it can help us gain or regain an eternal perspective on life. We see this with Andrew and John as their time with Jesus opens their eyes to what life can be with him. We know that they don't learn all there is to know about Jesus, but it sets them on a journey of discovery that we see revealed in the Gospels and beyond. During this time, they not only find their homecoming in Jesus, but they discover that Jesus' question, what are you looking for, involves all of the other longings and desires within them. This is significant for them and for us. Jesus wants us to explore these longings and desires because they have the power to affect every part of our lives. As we do this, Jesus helps us sift through all of our longings and desires to challenge us about giving up those that are harmful to us, that lead us away from him, or to challenge us to allow him to reconfigure good longings that are out of order. So much of life and the desires of life are gifts of God. They can reveal God's heart and will for us. But like most everything else, God's gifts can become more important than God himself. And when this happens, we get sidetracked, or worse, from what God desires for us. Yet sometimes we still struggle with exactly what these longings and desires are deep within us. One person has suggested that a way of discovering what we most deeply desire and long for is to imagine what we want said about us and our life at our funeral. In order to help us think through this, we may ask ourselves, do I want to be remembered as someone who loved deeply or was self-centered? as someone who responded with compassion to those in need or didn't have all that much time to really care, as someone who encouraged others or was critical and judgmental. These questions aren't about how we're living at the moment. They're about what we desire most for our lives. What do we still want to do with our lives what kind of people do we want to become 
And what kind of life do we want to live? What are we looking for? These questions will take time for us to answer as we think about them, how we're currently living, the choices and commitments we're making, our motives, and where and how Jesus fits into all of it. Doing this exercise can help us begin to honestly discover what we're really longing for and desiring So we may give all these longings and desires to Jesus so that through his spirit, he can use them to expand our lives in ways we never thought possible. And as we do this, we begin to see God's grace on display, that he wants more for us than we even want for ourselves. Jesus created us to experience meaning and fulfillment, to live lives of significance and depth. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants us to live passionate, abundant lives with real joy. But an even more profound grace of Jesus to us is the great surprise that we probably take for granted, that Jesus wants to spend time with us, that he longs to spend time with us. And this is really at the heart of this encounter with Andrew and John. This is the turning point of this entire encounter. They ask, where do you live? Jesus answers, Come and see. This invitation is more significant than it appears on the surface. This is an invitation of grace. Jesus welcomes them into his life. He invests time and energy into them. Why? Because Jesus knows that they are looking, searching for more, And he wants them to know, to understand his desire to meet that need. They don't have to beg him. He invites them. Come and see. The gospel is always about Jesus desiring us more than we desire him. Our desire for him is a response of his desire for us. We see this truth over and over again in Scripture, that Jesus longs to be with us. He wants to talk with us, not only about our life and the direction it's going, but he also wants to talk with us about our day, how it went, how we responded to certain situations, what we experienced. We may wonder Why does Jesus want us to share all this with him when he already knows all about it? For the past 20 years, Wes and I have worked together here at the church. We're in meetings together. We work on some projects together. We're very aware of what the other one is doing throughout the day. And even though our offices are only 32 feet and seven and three-quarter inches apart, 
every evening, we still talk about our day, what we did, things we're working on. Why? Because we need and want this connection with one another. Because we love each other, we desire this communication, and we look forward to sharing, even if we already know most of what happened that day. Jesus knows all about us. He knows our desires and longings, but we connect with him and gain his perspective when we open up and share these things with him. Jesus is with us all the time, yet he says, Come, tell me about it. We don't know exactly what Andrew, John, and Jesus talked about that afternoon and evening, but we know it's significant because by the end of the day, they are on board with Jesus. And it seems to all come back to his question to them, what are you looking for? As we talk with Jesus, our eyes are open to who he is, to the nature of God, and that we can trust him. But one of the greatest discoveries is that as we spend time with Jesus, we find we want to spend more and more time with him. An old story tells of a rabbi living in a Russian city about a century ago. Disappointed by his lack of direction and purpose in life, he wanders out one chilly evening. With his hands thrust deep into his pockets, he aimlessly walks the empty, dark streets, questioning his faith in God, the scriptures, and his calling to ministry. The only thing colder than the Russian winter air is the chill within his soul. He feels so enshrouded by his own despair that by mistake he wanders on to a Russian military compound off-limits to civilians. He jumps at the bark of the Russian soldier who shatters the silence of the evening chill. Who are you and what do you want? What are you looking for? Excuse me? replies the rabbi. With a sense of frustration, the soldier repeats his questions. I said, who are you? What do you want? What are you looking for? After a brief moment, the rabbi, in a gracious tone, so as to not further provoke the soldier, asks, How much do you get paid every day? What does that have to do with you? The soldier responds. With the joy of someone making a new discovery, the rabbi says, I'll pay you the exact same amount if you'll ask me those same questions every day. Who are you? What do you want? What are you looking for? 
this encounter and these questions changed the rabbi's life. Can you hear Jesus' still, small voice asking you, what are you looking for? He invites you. He welcomes you. He wants you to come and see and experience not only what you're looking for, but life in him that's beyond anything you could ever dream or imagine. Lord Jesus, help us as we honestly think about our lives in what we're looking for, what we're longing for, what we desire, be at work within us so we may become all that you have created us to be and live abundant and full lives in you. This we pray in your name. Amen.